Philippians chapter 3. And today we're going to cover just a few verses. I don't know if you guys have goals. Um, today's study, it's kind of like five goals. Maybe you can write them down and put them on your refrigerator. Because you guys go to your refrigerator every once in a while, right? You're like, hey. <laughs> and so you can check it out. Um, five goals. And remember, we're just going to kind of jump into the text. But Paul the Apostle is the one who's writing these words. And when he's writing these words, he's been a Christian for about 30 years. And so not only has he been a Christian, you know, he's been a hardcore Christian. I mean, this guy has been completely committed, sold out, and surrendered. But he doesn't believe he's arrived spiritually. He has no interest really in slowing down. As a matter of fact, the thing that's inspiring to me is that he's more passionate than ever, you know. Uh, we read in Philippians 3, basically, he traded in his religion for a relationship with God, and now he's pressing in and pressing on in that relationship. And so five goals, let's see if you guys can, can catch them. But we begin reading here in verse 10. Paul says, not, not that, that, that I may know him. Now we're just diving in, but, but we'll, we'll kind of set the context in a, set, in a second. But he says, that I may know him, speaking of Jesus, that I may know Jesus and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death. So we jump right into it here in verse 10. And Paul here gives us goal number one, and that is that I may know Christ. You know, we're going to see that this is something that he wants to get personal with the Lord. You know, of course, Paul already knew the Lord. I think it would be safe to say that he even knew him well, but he wanted to know him more. He wanted to know him more personally, more intimately. As a matter of fact, the Greek word right here means to know him by experience. And so, you know, we'll talk about how we can grow in our relationship with the Lord, but you got to remember this, it starts there. By, by knowing the Lord. You know, in John chapter 17, in verse 3, Jesus said that they may know you, speaking of his Father, the true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. And so he was going to, you know, leave. You read John 17, the prayer there, and he's praying for the people, and he's praying that they get saved. And how do you get saved? You get saved by placing your faith in Christ, who died for you, rose again. You say, yes. He is my Lord. He is my Savior. And then when you enter into that relationship, it's just knowing him, you guys. You know, I, I hope and pray, man, that everyone here has a relationship with God, that you can honestly say there was a time in my life where I gave him my heart, where I said yes. You know, we sent out a survey uh, yesterday, I think it was, and it was a survey that says do, when you go to heaven, do you believe that when you're in heaven... Uh, you're going to remember your unsaved loved ones. Now, it's a heavy question, huh? When you're in heaven, when we're there, will we remember our unsaved loved ones? And I have the answer. Um, no, actually, it's not uh, an easy answer, but it's a heavy thing to think about, you guys, that there will be some that won't make it to heaven. They could be your loved ones. They could be your, your spouse. It could be your kids. It could be your parents, um, they won't make it to heaven. And so will we remember them? Uh, some, most of you guys, about 60% said, no, we're not going to remember them. And even that tripped me out. I'm like, wow, these people that I love, that I know, that I've walked with, that I've lived life with, you mean to tell me I'm going to go to heaven? I'm not going to remember them? 
60% said they don't think they're going to remember them. There was about 20%, 23% that said we believe we will. That somehow when we're in heaven, we'll be given the capacity to know grace and peace and justice and, and live with that. And so still it's difficult. And then the rest of the people said, you know, I don't know. <laughs> I don't lean any way, you know. And so a heavy thought, though. You know, hopefully all of you know the Lord. You know, you've given your life to Christ. You know he died for you, rose again, and you're not just playing church. You don't just come on a Sunday because, you know, you would feel guilty if you didn't. No, you're here because you're saved. You're here because you, you, you know the Lord. That's how it starts, right? Because, you know, it's not enough to know his name or to know his title. It's not enough even that you're like, well, I'm involved in ministry, Listen, just because you're involved in ministry doesn't mean you're a Christian. It's not enough to, the, to go through the motions of ministry. Jesus said in Matthew seven twenty one, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name, and then I will declare to them, Jesus said, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. And so knowing the Lord, not just knowing his name, knowing his title, being involved in ministry, going to church, all that kind of stuff. No, really knowing the Lord, that, that's how it begins. And so when we get saved, it's as if we meet the Lord we now then begin this lifelong journey of knowing him more and more and more. Like I said, Paul had been a Christian for 30 years, and so he had this heart, however, not to end it there, but to dive into this relationship with God. You know, one of the realities of life is simply that, you know, you guys, we can all say this, some people you know, they're just like an acquaintance, you know them, right? Uh, others we might know more, and for some, we're just tight. We're tight with them. Paul is saying, that's what I want with God. I don't want to just know him. Like we got introduced, we're an acquaintance. Yeah, I can say I met him. Or yeah, I know him a little bit. No, Paul's desire here is that I want to know him, and I want to know him personally. You know, for example, I could use my family as an example to a certain extent. If you know my family, my family, some of you do, then you know they're awesome, right? <laughs> you know they're a blessing, right? But um, I will say this, you don't know them like I know them. And, and I, they're even more of a blessing than you realize. But I know them way more because I live with them, because I, I laugh with them, because, you know, we're there and, and we're comfortable together. I'm a very blessed man to have them in my life day in and day out. As far as I know, I've known my children their whole life. I've known them, Ariel and Aaron. And uh, Shelly, I've known, I think it's been 36 years, right? And so I know them. But I want to know them more. I want to know them deeper. I want to know what makes her smile, what even might make them sad. I want to know, you know, certain things about their life. And this is how it is for us in our relationship with God. Yeah, you know him and maybe you know him pretty good. And maybe you've been walking with the Lord for 30 years, but it's not enough. There's this holy discontentment that we have, right? And Paul was there. I want to know the Lord more. 
And this is the truth of our relationship with Jesus. That number one goal is to know him. And I believe that you get to know someone, and we're going to talk about this throughout the study today, but one of the ways, obviously, is spending time with him. You spend time with people, right? Text messaging is one thing, but let me tell you something. You might not really know that person, whatever. They're posting something on Instagram. You don't really know them. You know, calling on the phone is is better, I think. You know, you kind of get the voice inflections and, you know, things like that. But there's nothing like spending time with them, quality, quantity, time with them. This is how you will get to know a person. And this is the same truth with the Lord. You know, we will get to know the Lord by spending time with him. And how do you spend time with him? I think there's an awareness of his presence. I think that you're in the word. You're reading the Bible. This is him talking to you. I think us praying is another way that, you know, quality time spending with him, we're praying. Uh, you know, as a matter of fact, the Bible is not just a revelation. It's not just information. In one sense, if I can just say this, um, I know this might sound kind of weird, but have you guys ever read someone else's diary? Family, you parents, come on, be honest. <laughs> <laughs> you, sh- you probably shouldn't do that, okay? I'm so sorry. But imagine if you did, you know, there's your kid just pouring out their heart or whatever. There's your friend, you know, roommate. You're like, hey, they're not around, you know? And, you know, you read it. Oh, that's what's really going on. In one sense, the Bible, man, it's God's heart. It's God's journal. It's God's, it's God's diary in one sense. This is him. This is how you're going to get to know him by reading that word. That's the safe place we say, as a matter of fact, I love the psalm, uh, Psalm 119, verse 18. It says, open my eyes that I may see wondrous things from your law. Now, the, the word wondrous is the same word used in the book of Isaiah, chapter 9, speaking of Jesus, where they would call his name wonderful. His name shall be called wonderful. And so in Psalm 119, that's kind of what he's saying. Open my eyes that I might see Jesus, wonderful, wondrous things from your law. So you want to know the Lord more? You read your Bible, and wherever you're at, it doesn't matter. You're in the book of Jeremiah, in the book of Deuteronomy. It doesn't matter. Ecclesiastes, Job, it doesn't matter. Wherever you're at, you can pray, open my eyes, God. Open my eyes that I might see wondrous things from your law. Open my eyes, Lord, that I might see Jesus. Because I tell you what, I love him, and I know he loves me. I know he died for me. I was just thinking, Lord, I can't wait for the day that I get to see him face to face. But here I am on earth, and it's been a blessing, and I know him intimately, but I want to know him more. That's the example that Paul the Apostle is setting before us. Number one, that, that we would know Christ and, and that, that it would be personal. And then number two, second goal, is to know the power of his resurrection. We read that there in, in verse 10. Again, if you would notice that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. So another goal that you'll put on your refrigerator, hopefully, you know, is uh, I want to experience in this life the same power that raised Christ from the dead. To have that, that, that power hour, I want it now, Lord. Not, he's not talking about when you die, yeah, I want that power when I die. He's, knowing, he's saying, I want the power when I live. I, Lord, I, I want to know you, and I want to know the power of your resurrection. 
You know, and I don't think it's random that it follows his request, right, of knowing the Lord more personally. Because if you know him more personally, then you'll experience him more powerfully. If that's your goal, if it's your first thirst to know the Lord, then it is inevitable that power will flow through your life. It makes sense to me that this will be the result of a deeper relationship with God. You know, I, I don't know why sometimes I get these visuals, and hopefully you guys don't think I'm weird or anything, but I visualize like myself, whatever, in a spot, and then over here there's a, a million demons, and maybe behind the million demons there's a devil himself. Imagine if they're all here lined up, and there I am standing right there, and I visualize them just trying to push me, you know, push me. Um, maybe I'm trying to hit something, and so they're trying to push me, so I miss the mark. That's called sin. Or maybe there's a line right there, and they're trying to push me over the line. That's called transgression. Or maybe the demons and the devil, and they're all gathered together, and they're trying to push me to make me fall. I mean, and sin, right? Just sin is sin. It doesn't matter what it is. You should have never said that word or done that or gone there, or whatever it is, right? And so they're pushing me. But when I have the power of the resurrection, then they cannot move me. And that's what he's saying right here. Lord, I, I want to know you. I want to know the power of the resurrection. And it's not just for me. It's I got a family over here that I'm trying to protect. There's a, a church over here that God wants to bless. And so we can't do this on our own strength. We can't. It doesn't matter how long. Paul here had been Christian for 30 years. You would figure he got to figure it out now. Absolutely not. He was still just as dependent upon God from this point than he was at day one. We need power to be used by God so that people would get saved. We can't do this in our own strength. We need power so that people in the church would be sanctified. We can't make a difference in a single disciple without the power of God. We need power to win the war over the devil and his demons, over the inclinations of our fallen flesh. You know, our grain, we got a certain wiring, all of us here, some of us, you know, we got these certain things, and God says, I can give you victory over that, but you need to depend on me. Or even if you could visualize like a, a fish flowing upstream, you know, swimming against the flow. The whole world is going this way, and we're trying to go this way. You're not going to be able to do it. We're not going to be able to do this on our own strength. And so, Lord, Paul is just like, man, that, that I may know him, that I may know the power of his resurrection. And it's a different, it's a completely different life when I think of this, you know. A lot of times people don't realize that this power is available. And so Paul the Apostle, if you would turn to Ephesians 1, he actually prayed for the church that they would know that this power is available. Ephesians chapter 1, look at verse 15 if you would. Paul here says, Therefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus, your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened. And so he said, man, ever since I found out that you guys got saved, I started praying for you. I started praying that you would have like this wisdom, this understanding, this ability to see something. He's, he's praying for the Ephesians right here. 
And so he says, what is the hope of his calling? What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? And what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead? And seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And he put, notice, all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. And Paul is basically saying, I'm praying that you would know this, that your eyes would understand this, that you would see this, that you would just you believe this, that the same power that raised Christ from the dead is working towards you. You, we can have this power in which you see Jesus, you know, lifted up and seated at the right hand of the Father, and there's this picture of every demon underneath his feet. That can be us. And I'm reminded of the time when there was a storm and Jesus had told his disciples to go to the other side and there was this crazy storm and, you know, next thing you know, they're struggling and rowing. They can't make any progress because it is a spiritual battle, man. There's demons involved. And so Jesus is praying on this side. Then he comes, he's walking on water, right? He's walking on water. And so they freak out first. They're like, hey, who is this walking on water? And then they find out it's Jesus. And then Peter's like, hey, Lord, if that's you, bid me to come to you. And then what does Peter start doing? He starts walking on water, right? And then the Lord, of course, you know, we see Peter sinks. And then the Lord stills the storm by rebuking it because that whole storm was satanically influenced. But there's a message there. There's a message in that the, the, the whole, you know, satanic system, all the, the devil and his demons were under the feet of Jesus. And when Peter was walking on water, they were under his feet as well. So we don't have to sin. We could win, man, the things that God wants to do in us and through us. I mean, it's so amazing. But we have to have the same heart that Paul had, that I may know him, that I may know the power of his resurrection. So how many of you here believe that if you were to go down to the lake right now and, and walk, that you could walk on water? I'm just curious. None of you? If God wanted you to walk on water, could you walk on water? Yes. Go and try it. Let me know what happens. But, but I will say this, that more than likely, he doesn't want you to because really the only reason for that in the Bible is because it wanted to convey a spiritual message of who God is, the power that he had, and the power that's available to us, not over water, over demons. And so what we're talking about, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection is so important for us to understand. I don't have to sin. I don't have to do crazy things, the wrong things. I can actually do the right things one day at a time, all day long. God will help me to, you know, to tame my tongue. God will help me to make sure that these eyes are obedient to him. Because if our eyes are bad, and if we're looking at things that are not good, then our whole body's filled with darkness. That's what the, body, the Bible says. So by the power of the Holy Spirit, we can have victory. Paul says, that's what I want. I, I want that power. Not, not for myself, right? It's not like the people today, they're power hungry, you know, to serve themselves and their own self-interest. 
For us, it's the power to serve the Lord and the interests of others. Jesus spoke of it in the book of Acts, chapter 1, verse 8. He says, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so it's not power so that I can be, you know, uh, power hungry and serve myself. It's so that I can serve the Lord. Others would be saved. Think about it. That others would be sanctified and that we would have power even over ourselves. And so goal number one, that I may know Christ, it's something personal. Goal number two is that I would know the power of his resurrection. So that's something obviously powerful. Then goal number three. So if we have these two set, how many of you believe that we then have an easy life? Probably not, huh? As a matter of fact, look what Paul says. In Philippians uh, chapter 3, in verse 10, he says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. So you're hitting the mark if it becomes personal. You're hitting the mark if it becomes powerful. And you're hitting the mark if it becomes painful. And as you're going through whatever that pain is, you have your eyes on the Lord, man. You know, I, I was thinking about um, the wedding last night and, and Adrian and Lorraine, and it was a beautiful wedding. And just knowing a little bit about their background, I don't even know everything, but I know enough to just, you know, shake my head and, and beat my breast and say, thank you, Lord. Thank you for this day, Lord, that you brought these two together, centered on Jesus Christ. And what a difference it's going to make in Adrian's life and Lorraine's life and Zion's life and Ezrin's life. And I believe in many lives. And it's just like, thank you, Lord. But you know, the interesting thing is that God brought them together. And as they're getting ready for the, for the wedding, I was just thinking about you know, how difficult, how challenging, how heart-wrenching it was that that God called Lorraine's son, 20-year-old, beautiful young man, God called him home. And it's like, how can, Lord, this be, be good? And of course, there's so many questions that we have, and we, his ways are, are high above our ways, as the heavens are high above the earth. We don't know. We can't figure it all out. But I will tell you one thing I saw. I saw this man and this woman come together like nothing else can bring two people together as they suffered together. As they suffered together. You know, because it's one thing, you know, you, you live together, that, that's helpful. And maybe another thing is, is you laugh together, and that's helpful. But I tell you what, when you cry through the calamities, or when there's tears because of those trials, and, you, and you're there for each other, see, this is what binds us together. You know, a lot of times people, they're going to run away from the pain. I want no part of that pain. And God says, well... No pain, no gain. You didn't know he originated that, oh, that <laughs> phrase, huh? It, it's, it's true. It's true, and we want to live so comfortably. Oh, Lord, I always try to make deals with God. I try to tell God, Lord, I don't need it. 
I don't need it, God. I love you, Lord, and I love to read your Bible every day. You see me, Lord, and I'm praying, and I'm serving, and I don't need it. And God, and God is just kind of like laughing. And I mean, you know what? You guys, we're going to go through it. I go through it. I haven't even gone through some of the things you guys have gone through, but I know that I will. I know that I will. And when Paul right here is, is talking about this, it almost seems like it's uh, self-sadistic, but, but it's important for us as Christians to welcome the pain, to welcome it, because this is how we grow. You know, I was wondering, well, why is Paul saying this, you know, that I may know the fellowship of his sufferings? Because when you suffer with others, it deepens your relationship more effectively than anything else in the world possibly can. You know, my sister-in-law, my brother-in-law, I remember when they, you know, were getting ready to get married and what a glorious time it was and she thought she would never get married again. She said, oh no, I'll never get married again. And I was a prophet. I told her, oh yes, you're going to get married. I don't know where that came from. Like, it was totally the Lord because I'm not a prophet. But she did get married and just how awesome. You know, uh, knowing my sister-in-law, wanting you know, that for her, you know, and of course, God is the one, he knows what's best for everybody, but I, I wanted that for her, and God brought a God-fearing man into her life, and so they get married, and then boom, he's got cancer, and you're like, wait a minute, it's not fair, you, they just got married, and God is saying, don't worry, I know what I'm doing, because I'm going to use this cancer to draw them together. You see, and if that's the way it is with us and human relationships, how much more so with God? But you've got to make sure that you go through those sufferings with your eyes on the Lord. Because some people, they go through the sufferings and they never grow because they complain, they kick, they cry, they want nothing about. And God is just saying, you have to come closer to me. And it's okay for you to pour out your heart. It's okay for you to tell me what's going on, what you're thinking, but just never lose faith. Make sure your eyes are focused on me. I think of Job. He was a man who was upright. He feared God. He shunned evil. He was blameless. But then when all his kids died and all his money was gone and his health disappeared, there he was struggling for, you know, this period of time. And, you know, this guy that was already a, a pretty awesome dude ended up at the end when it was all said and done. He said, I used to know God like this, but now I know God like this. So much more, so much deeper, so much more intimate, personal, powerful, this fellowship that we have, even though it's painful. And so I believe that when we go through those trying times that we will draw closer to God. Paul wanted that. He welcomed that. He knew that to suffer with Christ would mean he would come closer to Christ. But I think another reason that he wanted this you know, pain, so to speak, is because I believe that uh, at the end of the day, he wanted to live boldly. He wanted to live obediently, without compromise or any inkling of pleasing men. And he knew this, and he already knew this. If I tell the truth, if I say, well, this is what I believe, marriage is between a, a man and a woman. I believe that when God created us, that he said you're either male or female. I read it there in the book of Genesis. I believe, in, and you know, you tell him what you say about the husbands and about the wives and loving and leading and supportive, submissive, whatever it is. You start telling and going against the grain and all the political ideas that are out there, they will hate you. Paul said, that's why I welcome it. I welcome it because sometimes people hold back on all that stuff because they don't want to suffer. They don't want the pain. 
And Paul said, oh no, I have to be obedient to God. And so he's living this life. One person said these sufferings were not Christ's substitutionary sufferings on the cross. Paul knew that those could not be shared, but he did desire to participate with Christ in suffering for the sake of righteousness. The apostle did indeed suffer for Christ because he represented him so openly and truthfully. And so these are our goals. Number one, that I may know him. Number two, that I may know the power of his resurrection now. Number three, that I may know this fellowship of sufferings. You know, when Paul got saved, Jesus sent Ananias to tell Paul that he was going to suffer. You read that in the book of Acts chapter 9, verse 16. And so all of us are going to suffer to varying degrees. And so my encouragement is don't cringe from it. It's part of the call. Be bold, be obedient. When you go through hard times, make sure you have your eyes on the Lord, right? But understand that these are the callings of Christians. And as a matter of fact, I think these are unique opportunities for us to grow like no other times. I love the poem by Amy Carmichael. I think I've shared it with you guys many times. She was a missionary to India. She was there for 52 years without a single furlough. She went to India, and there she rescued the children Uh, They were temple slaves, sex slaves. I mean, what a work that God did through Amy Carmichael. If you ever read anything uh, uh, from her, you're going to be super blessed. But she wrote this poem uh, about suffering, and she said this, Hast thou no scar, no hidden scar on foot or side or hand? I hear thee sung as mighty in the land. I hear them hail thy bright ascendant star. Hast thou no scar? Hast thou no wound? Yet I was wounded by the archers spent. Lean me against a tree to die and rent. By ravening beasts that compass me I swoon. Hast thou no wound? No wound, no scar. Yet as the master shall the servant be, and pierced are the hands that follow me, but thine are whole. Can he have followed far who has no wound? No scar. See, this is part of our calling as Christians. Number one, that I may know Christ. It's personal. Number two, the power of the resurrection. It's powerful. Number three, fellowship of his sufferings. It's painful. And then number four, notice what it says there in verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death. And you're like, well, what do you mean being conformed to his death? Well, to be conformed, it means to be in similar form. And so Paul says, I want to be like Christ in the way that he died to his own will, in the way that he yielded to his father. It's not just the death that would come at the end of his life. It's the death that comes in living life, all of our life. It's when we come to an end of ourself. You know, it's the wild stallion, and I think I've told you guys before, you know, you imagine going and finding a beautiful wild stallion out there, man, and the power of such a creature, you know, and you go and you lasso it and you bring it to you, but now it's time to ride it, and the, 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 the stallion must be broken of its own will. 
It must be broken so that now the rider, you know, you want to go right, you want to go left, whoa, you want to slow down, you want to speed up, it's time for war, whatever it is. This is us. We must come to this place where, you know, we, we die to self, we're broken of our own will, we're yielded to him. And you learn to, to start living life that way. You can't just vent all your feelings. You can't just say whatever you want to say. I mean, you know, if you find yourself here and maybe you're here today and I don't want to you know, beat you up or anything, but man, you know, you get in trouble a lot with your tongue because you say things that you shouldn't say, you know, and they're, they're cutting marks or they're critical marks or they're just things that you know aren't right. I mean, James says in James chapter 3 that when we get matured, that we tame the tongue. Listen, not a single thought belongs to you. Not a single word or syllable or sentence. We can't do that. It's not our life. You're still alive. Paul is saying, I need, to, I need to come to that place where I'm conformed to his death. That's why we read those words of Jesus in Luke 9.23. He said to them all, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross every single day, daily, and follow me. I mean, what, what in the world are these Christians over there are getting drunk? Who do you think you are? That's your own life. No, the Bible says, don't be drunk with wine in which is a wasted or dissipation life, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. You know, for us, we have to die to self. Now listen, we can't die the Savior's death, but we are called to die a martyr's death. Remember in Acts chapter 1, and you'll be witnesses to me? That word in the Greek language, witnesses, is martyrs. You know, think of Isaiah, that he was sawn in half, Upside down, they sawed him in half. Imagine that. You know, you got guys that died martyrs' death, right? This is how we have to live. We have to live as individuals who take up their cross. Paul the Apostle, I would venture to say that some of you here, you want to be used by the Lord the way that Paul the Apostle was. He wrote 13 letters of the Bible. He planted multiple churches, was an amazing theologian and lover of people and pastor and so used by God in a mighty way. Well, I want that, Lord, yeah. Well, then learn. let's learn from him. I want that too, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, the death of Jesus. That's what I want. I've learned this, and I don't know if you guys have discovered this. I'm sure you have, especially some of you moms out there. But it's like, man, there's no me time. Like the whole day, it goes by, and you're like, man, I just wanted to go sit on the couch and watch a movie, you know, and have a quesadilla or something. I just want to, you know, do this. I just want to kick back or whatever. And no, you got to go do that. You got to go do that. God says you got to go do that. You got to call them. You got to do the whole day. is like, wait a minute, Lord. And then it just adds up. And then another thing gets added to the list. It's not, and it's not our life. It's not. So right here, Paul is saying, this is what my goal is. Look what he says in verse 11. If, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Now, now, I don't believe here Paul is trying to earn, you know, the resurrection at the end of his life. I do believe, though, that what Paul is saying here is that I want to continue to abide in Christ and, and finish my life to prove my salvation. You know, I'm going to pursue the Lord because I believe that if you don't have a heart to grow forward, 
you're going to backslide. What if, you guys, I started drinking, I started getting high, going back to my life of drugs? What if I started sleeping around? What if I left my family? What if I said, I don't want to go to church anymore? What if I split? What if I quit? What if I was out there? Because it happens. There are some people who used to go to church, man. They used to serve in the ministry, but they're not no more. Big question mark. Are they a saint or an ain't? Only God knows. But what if I did all of that? You know what you would say? You would say either Manny fell away or Manny never knew the Lord. And I think in one sense, all Paul is saying is that, you know what? I'm going to keep living this resurrection life. You know, I think it's Paul basically saying it ain't over till it's over. I wanted to show you guys a video of, um, have you guys ever seen those racers and they're racing and they're, you know, coming to the end of the race and they start celebrating, hey, and then someone passes them by. (laughs) I think that's what he's saying. It's like, I'm not going to slow down, you know, I'm going to keep running and and make sure that I, I win the race that I'm in, you know? I mean, Paul here is basically saying, I want this, uh, look what he says in verse 12, not the same thing, basically, not that I have already attained, or I'm already perfected, but I press on, there it is, I press in, I press on, that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. I mean, I I love this, Paul here, uh, five goals, and let me give them to you all now, and I think we might even have them uh, as a slide, if I'm not mistaken, the five goals. Goal number one, that I may know Christ, right? And so we're getting to know him more and more and more. And that's personal, very personal. I pray that you, we would grow in that relationship with him. Number two, that I would know the power of his resurrection. So Lord, I believe what your word says, that those demons, they're going to be underneath my, my feet, God. I'm going to have victory over sin. Number three, and the fellowship of his sufferings. Now, personal, powerful, and it's painful. And so, Lord, as I'm looking and these things might be coming my way, I'm not going to run. I'm not going to, you know, cower. Lord, I'll go forward. If this is what you have for my life, I will embrace it and I will keep my eyes on you. And I will, I, I will, I will know this, that during this difficult time, God is wanting to draw me closer to him. Because a lot of times during the difficult times, some people, they go the other way. It's been said the same sun that melts the wax hardens the clay, right? So this is the, these are the goals, personal, powerful, painful. And then goal number four that I would lay hold of. Um, and so goal number four is actually supposed to say that I would lay down my life. That's supposed to be number four. That I would lay down my life, right? And then number five is that I would lay hold of, sorry about that, but why will lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has laid hold of me? So let me ask you a question. Why did God save you? Why did God save you? And that's what Paul is saying. Like, why God laid hold of me. He got me. Why? Why? And Paul is saying, this is what I want to discover. So let me give you guys three things in closing. Um, why God laid hold of us, why we're saved. Uh, number one is to exalt God and enjoy God. And I think we might have these as well, or maybe not. Do we have that one, Max? If not, it's okay. You guys can remember this, right? You guys remember life before the screens? Okay, number one, um, exalt God and enjoy God. So you were saved. You know, when I look at you, 
I'm like, wow, Lord, you're so awesome. Look what you've done in their life. You know, I remember Stephanie. I remember Raymond. If you guys knew them before, they were crazy, man. They were out there. Man. Look at what you've done. And they exalt God. And so you live a life that exalts God. But then you enjoy God, right? And I go to In-N-Out on Wednesday nights after church service, man. And I enjoy God, if you know what I mean, man. <laughs> He's given us richly. I love music, and I love love, and I love people, and I love food. All those are just the blessings. And so you were made to exalt God and enjoy God. That's one thing. Second thing is you were made to exalt God and then to edify the church and evangelize the world. And so it's good to know these things. Again, if that, if what, that what you're trying to do or what you're thinking about doing doesn't glorify God, then it's not for you. So exalt God, edify the church means you find your place in the church and you are faithful. God will use you to help others. You build them up. It's so beautiful, right? But then what about all those that are out there that are lost? We can't just be an in-reach. It can't just be, you know, me at church. It's like you have to have eyes to evangelize and you're reaching out. This is why God saved us. He could have saved you and then taken you to heaven right away, but it's because he wants to use our life, right? And so number one, exalt and enjoy. Number two, exalt, edify, and evangelize. But then number three, and this one fits in our context right here, we were saved to know him and to make him known. That's why we were saved. And I pray that we would have that understanding. Okay, Lord, then I'm going to get to know you and I'm going to enter into this relationship with you and I will not be content. There will be this holy dissatisfaction, discontentment. I mean, I'm grateful for the relationship I have with you, but God, I'm going to go so much deeper. You know, before I came up, you know, to share, I just started thinking about heaven. And, I, you know, like you got the musicians that are up here, you know, and they're, they're, they're serving the Lord. They're serving the Lord. And then I, I get to come up here and I get to try to teach the Bible, right? And sometimes it doesn't matter where you serve. Sometimes you feel like it's just not good enough, Lord. But you're giving your best. And so I don't know why when I was thinking, looking at these musicians right here, my daughter's one of them, by the way, and... Um, I just visualized, and again, I hope I'm not getting weird, pray for me, but I, uh, I saw them one by one going into heaven one day, and I just saw Jesus just hugging them, just holding them. And again, I don't know if that's how it's going to be because he's so holy, right? He's so holy, and we wonder, well, what's it going to be like? But I have a feeling kind of getting to know him a little bit, how our God is so humble. That he's just, yeah, you thought, Manny, you thought, you thought it was nothing. The Lord's going to say, man, what a blessing. You know, and I don't know, well done, good and faithful servant, the big hug right there. Why? Simply because we laid hold of that for which Christ Jesus laid hold of me. You know, he saved me to know him, and he saved me to serve him. And this is where I'm at 
I'm privileged to be, and God will find and lead you guys in the place that he has for you. One, one interesting thing before we go, the, the word in the Greek language is a very intense word to lay hold of. And so any of you guys remember playing football? How many of you guys remember playing football? Some of you girls too, I know. All right, so when you play football, um, I remember I used to play when I was in Catholic school. They had flags, and so you would pull the flag. How many of you guys ever played touch football where you just touch the back? You know what I'm saying? So anyways, you're like, why are you talking about this? So the Greek word right here is not just you're running after this and you're going to touch it, or you're running after it and you're going to take the flag. You're running after this. Paul says, I lay hold of. The Greek word means I'm running after this and I'm going to tackle it. It's tackle football. This is what this is. And so God... I am going to lay hold of this for which you have laid hold of me. And as you do, and as you know him and make him known, as you exalt God and enjoy God, as you exalt God, edify the church, evangelize the world. Paul says, this is my goal. This is my passion. And I pray that we would be inspired by him.